I'm ready. I prepared. I've studied. I prayed. Read scripture. So I, I laid my head on the pillow with ease. Well, this morning I woke up and I had a little different feeling in my heart because of a dream I had during the night. Why I had this great dream, I don't know. I love everyone in this room, and I know everyone in this room, I think, loves me. So why should I be scared to stand before you? But I dreamt that I was 10 minutes late getting started tonight, and Richard, Richard Peace stepped in, impromptu study, and the reason that I was late was because I was in the bathroom sick. Where'd that come from? I have no idea. Um, but it does get easier, and I know it's something as a shepherd that I'm called to do. Um, first, uh, there's two things before I start my lesson that have been uh, on my heart heavy for the last six months to a year. Uh, and it has to do with the shepherds and the flock and uh, how we're told to love each other. And I want to read those tonight. And when I read these, I want you to know uh, I'm speaking to myself as well as everyone else, shepherds, other shepherds included. In Hebrews 13, uh, 15 through 17, Scripture says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good to, and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. That's our charge. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be no advantage to you. And then in Peter, 1 Peter 5, I think this mainly uh, really speaks to the shepherds. Um, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must. Sorry, lost my place. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, not eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. <clears throat> and then one other thing I want to I say, and there's, there's really no scripture, um, and I don't know why it's this way, uh, but since I became a, a shepherd, it's very difficult uh, for me to worship. And you'd say, well, why in the world is that? Uh, I'm very distracted. Um, 
I, th I think about things that I shouldn't be thinking about. Um, some of those are things that I bring upon myself. But some of those things are things, statements that and concerns that people have, members have, with things that are going on in the church, decisions that have been made that they may or may not agree with. And so before Sunday school class or in between class and worship, uh, sometimes I get approached with those and, and maybe I should be stronger and not let them sidetrack me. But sometimes those distract my mind from where it needs to be, on, especially on the Lord's Day. Um, so I'm going to make a plea to the congregation. Uh, and I want anyone that has issue with anything that I've said or done or decision I've made, I want everyone to feel free to talk to me about that because I know you'll do that in love. But I'm going to request that you do that um, after worship. Uh, I know it's distracting for me. It's not because I don't want to hear it or that I'm scared to hear it, but I know it's also distracting sometimes for some of our ministers and some of the other elders. I'll let them speak about that on their own. But I say that truly out of love. Don't, I have no real will in that statement. But those two things that's been on my mind that I needed to share with the congregation and I thought this would be a good time to do it. Uh, the topic is God's people. And the way I, everyone has had their own free will to take that wherever we wanted to take it. And uh, I'm going to take it the direction of how I have been influenced, um, especially before I became a Christian. Um, both good and bad by Christians. And there's a reason for that, and, it, and it's, I think there's a, a lesson to be taught in it, and, and I'm not trying to be judgmental about people that influence me in a negative way. But uh, I want to share that, and I think when, when I get through, you'll see where I'm going with it. Um, first of all, I want to give you just a little testimony. I know that's a word we don't use a lot in the Churches of Christ. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my upbringing because it's, it's, not, a, it's not a typical upbringing. Um, my mom married very young. Uh, she had me very young. I don't, I don't know exactly. I'm terrible with dates. 16, 17 years old. Um, when I was about two and a half years old, she was stricken with polio. Uh, she was pregnant with my younger brother who she ended up giving a good childbirth to. Uh, she was in Parkland Hospital for roughly 18 months. Um, and so during that time, I lived a lot of the time with my, my daddy's parents, uh, whose last name is not Kirby because my grandmother had divorced and remarried and the last name is Tucker. Uh, she was a devoted member to the East Parish Baptist Church and if I was at her house, I lived with her roughly a year and a, about a year and a half, uh, a lot, while my mother was in the hospital in Parkland, uh, because my grandparents, her mother and daddy, Mr. and Ms. Carroll, who I'll talk about later, were traveling back and forth to, to Dallas on a regular basis to see mother. Um, so the Christian influence was in my life very early. 
uh, from Mamaw Tucker. Uh, my grandparents, Mr. and Ms. Carroll, were members of the Church of Christ. <clears throat> my dad left um, somewhere about a year and a half after my mom uh, came home from the hospital. Mom was totally bedridden, uh, took total care, uh, everything from bathing to bedpan. I mean, that's, that's the crux of it. So she was a full-time job. So she and I lived with my, uh, her parents, Mr. and Ms. Carroll, and, uh, and they were a second set of parents to me. Uh, very devout Christian people. Uh, thought it very, very important to worship and to attend worship. We worshiped in shifts because mother couldn't be left alone and mother couldn't always go to church. Uh, granddaddy would go on Sunday morning and I was there with him. On Sunday evenings, grandmother would go so she could take communion and I was with her. And on Wednesday evening, it was kind of a toss-up. But ever who win, I was there. So basically until I was about 17, 18 years old, I was in church three, three days a week. So I had a lot of Christian influences. Um, my mother uh, was a shining example of someone who took adversity uh, and used it to glorify God. She was upbeat, smiling, hopeful, caring. Um, once she had been home for a while, she, through physical therapy, uh, she got to where she could sit up in a wheelchair. When she first came home, she was flat of her back and she had a little turtle back respirator that helped her breathe. And Bill Harges was her therapist, uh, Brian Harges' dad. Um, and uh, I remember him teaching my granddaddy. I didn't know this at the time, but my granddaddy told me later because uh, mother always had to have range of motion physical therapy uh, every day. Um, and I asked granddaddy one time, I said, how would you learn how to do that? And he said, well, Mr. Hargis told me. And I said, well, why did he do that? That's how he made his living. He said, well, he knew we were poor, and he knew we couldn't afford it, and he knew your mother needed it. So he taught granddaddy, and then when I got old enough, granddaddy taught me. Um, Mother stayed unmarried till after I married. Um, she met a man that drove the Sprint bus, which is like the tracks bus nowadays. Uh, He's a part-time Church of God preacher. His name was D.H. Swanson. Everybody called him Durst. Huge man, huge. I could put his wedding band on my thumb and it would fall off. Um, he was a great guy, and he, he was a godsend. Uh, shortly after they married, my grandfather died. Um, so he, when, he took, when he married her, he took total responsibility for her care, just like my grandmother had. Um, they visited the sick. Uh, they visited the hospitals. They sang to people at both places. Um, they testified that God can use you no matter what condition you're in. I remember one time a man next door, we lived over by Walker Park in West Paris, and there was a guy moved in. We owned, my grandfather owned the home, and there was a guy moved in next door that was in a wheelchair. And he came over one day, and mother was sitting out on the porch, and like she 
does a lot of times. And I think her best friend, Pat Jones, they'd sit out on the front porch and play Scrabble. Uh, they waited for the dictionary to come out every year so they could look in the front or the back, wherever the new words were listed, so they could be the first one. You didn't want to challenge them in a game of Scrabble. But anyway, this guy came over and kind of started testifying to Mother about, he said, if, if you had enough faith in the Lord, you wouldn't be sitting in that wheelchair. He'd heal you. Now, this is a man sitting in a wheelchair, remember? <laughs> and she said, always polite like she always was, so what's your story? And he said, well, God uses me as an instrument to glorify him. And she said, you don't think he can use two people? I don't know that I would have given that kind of an answer uh, after he had made that statement, but that's, that's the kind of person Mother was. Um, mother taught in me uh, to give back Mother was in the hospital about 18 months. Later in life, my granddaddy told me what the hospital was, bill was at Parkland Hospital. 18 months. About six months of that was one-on-one -on -one nursing care. There was a nurse by her side all the time. Anybody want to guess what 18 months of health care in 1957-58 would have cost? $65,000. That's it. And the March of Dimes paid every penny of it because of her age. So guess who was the March Dimes neighborhood chairperson every year? My mother, even though she was in a wheelchair. Uh, and guess who got to go around the neighborhood? Y'all remember this, most of this group's old enough to remember these little cards that you put to the nickels, dimes, and quarters. It may have been all quarters, I don't know. But she had her list and she'd call people on the phone and she'd say, I'm going to divulge a name. People that know me from old school time is Earl Wayne. That's my first name. She'd say, Earl Wayne would be coming by to collect your money. So I'd take the little cards, and that's what, that's what I'd do. Um, my grandmother, uh, I'll finish a little on mother. Mother was married about 11 years to Mr. Swanson, and then he had a heart attack and died uh, beside her bed one night. Um, she knew he wasn't feeling good, and my grandfather had passed away, so my grandmother was living by herself. And she called grandmother, and she said, you know, Durst hadn't been feeling good. I can't get him to go to the doctor. Would you come over and spend the night with us? Because once mother got in bed, she couldn't get out. She was totally helpless in the bed. So grandmother came over, spent the night, and he got up during the night and fell dead beside the bed. Uh, and after that, very shortly, like that next day, my grandmother moved back in. And so, until um, mother died in 2004, they were roommates again. Sometimes that was good and sometimes it wasn't, especially when grandmother's memory started getting bad. Um, grandmother, uh, it just, you can tell already from what I've said, uh, had un unselfish love for other people. All of these are things that I was taught. Um, always thinking of others, dedicated her entire life to caring for mother, myself, granddaddy. And at one time she had my mother and her daddy, Hugh Smith, 
in hospital beds in the house at the same time. Two people. For over a year, I remember that very well. Um, she loved God. Uh, she spent some time in a nursing home before she passed away. Any, if you've ever had anybody in a nursing home, you know every time someone falls, they've got to call a family member. Doesn't matter if they're hurt or not, state law, they've got to call. And I'd get a call at least once a month. Wayne, Grandma fell again. What was she doing? Tying somebody's shoe. Okay, she's 80-something years old. She's in the nursing home, and she's still certain, you know. Um, my grandfather, true shepherd uh, to family, and he was an elder at uh, Bottom Street Church of Christ. Um, I, there's things you wished you had asked, and I, I may have heard this, but I'm not positive. Uh, I know he was not raised uh, in a Christian home going to church. Uh, I knew my great-grandparents. Um, I really do not know how he found Christ. I think it was from a man that he played dominoes with at Brian Gibbs' funeral home. Uh, back then, they ran the ambulance service, and the guys that were on call for the ambulance service had a little room, and they had to be there, and they had set up and played dominoes, and Granddaddy would go up there with them. And I think it was a gentleman there. Um, like my grandmother, he dedicated his entire life to caring for me and my mother. Um, most of the time worked two jobs because of mother's health. A grandma couldn't work, so granddaddy had to be the breadwinner for, to the whole family. Um, I never heard him blame God. Uh, definitely did not try to live above his means. Um, he was an elder. Uh, I know that eldership was was hard on him uh, because of decisions and and things that uh, that he had to do as an elder. Um, he was a great father uh, to me. I got my papers out of order, so y'all gonna have to give me just a minute to get them back in order. Okay. Why did I brag on my family? We all like to brag on our family. So why did I brag on Well, as you can tell, I had good examples growing up. Although there was adversity, there was very little negative in my life. Didn't hear negative comments at home. Didn't hear fussing and fighting in home. Uh, it was a great time back then. We had sandlot baseball. Uh, we all knew our neighbors. Uh, several of them were members of the church. Uh, Pat and Curry Jones lived across the street. I grew up across the street from them and, and played with their children. A lot of y'all know them. Um, and I brag on them because they showed me Christ by example and not by trying to shove it down my throat. I was taught, but I was never uh, made to feel guilty because I had not obeyed Christ. Um, there's two scriptures that I, that I want to read at this time. Uh, one comes from Matthew 22. It 
Some of these are a little lengthy, so bear with me. And it's the greatest commandment. We'll start in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And the other scripture you can uh, look at is uh, in Luke 10, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. While we've been doing this uh, series on Wednesday evenings, the, uh, Andy Garner, the children's minister, asked the elders if we would teach uh, one time each elder the fourth and fifth grade class. And, and we agreed, all agreed to do that. And the night that Jay Spencer was speaking, I was teaching that class. And I love the story of the Good Samaritan because uh, that's kind of what I saw growing up. And so that's, that's easy for me to teach, and I, I think it's something that the children need to hear. And so I ask them, what story in the Bible do you know of where someone did good for someone else? And uh, Gibson dies, raised his hand. I said, what story is it? He said, the Good Samaritan. I was proud of him. Uh, and I said, do you know that story? He said, yeah, I sure do. I said, would you tell it to us? He told the whole story. Knew the Levite, knew the Samaritan. And I said, so what's unusual about that story when he got through? He said, they weren't friends. Now, I don't know what grade he's in, fourth or fifth grade, or he wouldn't be in that class. But uh, I thought, he's been hearing what he needs to hear. But... Um, I wanted to tell that story because of the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, let's read that. Um, uh, Luke 10, uh, beginning in chapter, uh, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So as I was growing up, I had all these positive influences in my life toward Christ. But at age 21, I still hadn't accepted Christ. Why not? What's my excuse? I knew the scripture. I'd heard every Bible story in the Bible umpteen times. But I was bullheaded. 
And so why didn't I do it? Well, the excuse that I gave, it's not a reason, it's just an excuse, was um, that even though I'd seen all these positive influences and all, all these positive things about Christ and I knew how he'd taken care of us, there were some outside influences, some inside, in the church. And I know I shouldn't have judged, but I did. Not being a Christian, it was easy to do that. Uh, but I saw people who professed to walk with God walking a different walk and talking a different talk. And that had a great influence on me in a negative way. Like I said, that's, that's an excuse. It's not a reason, not a, not a reason at all. Um, I worked at B&W uh, when Becky and I married. Uh, we started dating when I was 16 and she was 14. And we dated till I graduated high school and I had some ways that weren't the ways they were supposed to be and she wasn't gonna put up with it so we broke up. And a year and a half later, we got back together and this next week we'll be married 38 years. Uh, but I still hadn't obeyed Christ and I'm using the excuse that I see other people that profess to be Christians to me that shows us that we need to be very careful because I'm sure if, if, I, if I did it as a non-Christian someone that, that needed to be influenced in a positive manner that there's others that we're influencing both inside the church, children, friends, whoever. And there's definitely people outside the church that are watching us every move. You may not think so, but they are. And God's always watching. Um, so I still hadn't became a Christian. Becky was steadfast. She was Christian when we met. Um, we met at the Bottom Street Church Christ where her and her mom attended and her two brothers. Um, and until I got to be about 18, I was there every time the doors were open. But when I got up old enough to make my own decisions, that wasn't what I thought I wanted to do. But she stayed steadfast. Um, after we married, I'd try to plan to go camping on Saturday night or do this or do that. Wasn't gonna interfere with church. So she, straight, she stayed very strong. Um, there was two other people, uh, Neil Collard and Joe Moore. Uh, I worked with them at B&W. And we worked in a pretty close environment. Uh, we didn't work in the plant. I did for a while, but when, then once I got to know Neil and them, I, I worked outside in the shipping department. And we kind of had our own little hut out there, and we just kind of hung out together out there. It was about 13 of us worked out there. And Joe and Neil were very positive influences on me. Uh, it was not easy. It's not easy anywhere. But it was not easy to work in that, that setting and walk uh, the walk that Christ wants you to walk. A lot of temptations there, things that, that shouldn't be. So they were a positive influence, but I still hadn't, still hadn't found the Lord. 
So um, Jimmy Newman, at the time we were attending, I would, I would go to church with Becky. And uh, Jimmy Newman was the preacher there at that time. And one day, I don't, I don't remember if it was on a Sunday or a Sunday night. Dates get away from me. But he, uh, he brought a lesson, and I don't remember the exact topic, but it had to do with not judging people that sin in, in their walk with Christ, not judging them as being hypocrites, but just being sinners like we all are. For some reason, that hit home, and I obeyed Christ. Um, and, and I want to revert back again to how, to, how do we look to others? Uh, there's a lot of scriptures that tell us how we should look. Um, and I'm not going to teach on these scriptures, but I've got several scriptures that I want to read. Scripture is very plain. Uh, none of these scriptures that I'm going to read um, are confusing. They're pretty point and, and you know to the point. And I guess my question before I read these are, you know, how we're influencing others, and do we act like the Good Samaritan? people see that in our lives uh, in the way we treat each other inside this building outside and how we treat the world and those in the world those that we should be influencing in a positive manner and hopefully we are let's start in Matthew Matthew 5 you're the salt uh, verse 13 you're the salt of the earth but if its salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that, you may see your, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And then in the same chapter in verse uh, 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be son of the Father in heaven. <clears throat> he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not... Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is also perfect. Uh, turn to Colossians 3. Verse 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since each, as each member of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Let's go to Romans 12. Starting in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted, devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be, hope, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And do not be conceited. I'm going to stop at that point right there. Um, let's read a couple more. Philippians 4. Starting in uh, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is love, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. I think that tells us pretty plain where our minds should be. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. There's many um, in this church that have encouraged me through the years. Um, some that I share some commonalities with. Uh, the Stallings, the Bassets. Hang on a minute. Let me get myself together. These people, like my grandparents, gave undying love. Said I wasn't going to do this. But each of you encouraged me. I may not uh, always agree with you, but I always love you. And I hope 
I hope as we walk each day, people see that. Thank you. I don't think we have a closing prayer. Uh, I'll do that. Uh,